Mark chapter 6, verse 31. And he said unto them, these are the words of Jesus. Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they had no leisure so much as to eat. I want to take a little poll here tonight. How many of you did not have time to eat before church tonight? Would you lift, raise your hand, hold it up a little higher so everybody can see? That's usually, that's usually quite a few people. Thank you. You may be seated. I will remember that tonight that you're hungry. And we have a saying at our church, along with many other sayings, that hungry people are grouchy people. So if you're sitting next to someone who raised their hand, beware if the pastor gets long-winded tonight. So this title is like an attempt at a title, Balancing Life and Ministry. And I just want to kind of make a note up front that ministry is life and life is ministry. But that's the best way I know how to express that we want to live a balanced life and try to find a way. I started to say balancing family and ministry, but we have many people in our church who have either raised their families or single adults and so that may not necessarily be appropriate. In the month of September, this past month, I taught and preached on the family. Brother Joel preached on Sunday the 17th on disaster in the home port. Brother Jury taught on Wednesday the 14th of September on children and parents. So the three of us spent September teaching and preaching about the family. This week on Friday night, we're going to honor the Army of Volunteers who serve in ministry at our church. Brother Sargent will be speaking them. If you're not already uh, secured to come, then you'll, we'll see you on Sunday in church. And Brother Sargent's going to be preaching Sunday. And he's a tremendous preacher with a unique story. And we're looking forward to him being here. Many of the members of our church lead very busy, full lives. There are times when you may feel like a juggler trying to balance all the facets of life, including family, work, and ministry. You know you're blessed to be saved and to be a part of the kingdom of God, but sometimes you also feel a little stressed in life. So today I wanna to offer some insights from the Bible and personal experience on balancing life and ministry. And remember that life is ministry and ministry is life. A few years ago, our pastoral team learned a new phrase that we've said mostly in leadership context uh, that has helped us deal with the ongoing challenges that we face in ministry. There are some things that are problems to solve. You solve them one time and they're solved, at least for a while Maybe forever, but probably not forever. But there are other things in life and ministry that are not really problems to solve. They are tensions that you have to manage. They don't go away. You're not going to fix them in a sermon or a rebuke or a plan, a policy, a practice. It's just part of life, human nature. There will always be a baby that will cry in church. There will always be people who don't know when church really starts, although it's announced and they'll come in late. There will always be people who think that they're supposed to be joining the safety team in the foyer 
or somewhere else or engaging a staff member in a conversation just as church starts and get their feelings hurt because we need to be about our father's business. There are some things, many things that are just tensions to manage and you're never going to fix them. And it's been a long time since I've said this, but I made up my mind a long time ago that I wasn't going to let it get to me because I've known some bitter saints and bitter preachers that got frustrated, that burned out, threw in the towel of ministry and maybe even living for God because they tried to fix something that cannot be fixed. It's attention to manage. So there's some things that I'll say tonight that are probably not going to get fixed. You can pray and cry and come to the altar, go on an extended fast, and it will help. It'll help you if it doesn't solve the problem. But it might just be attention that you learn to manage in your life. It's true of life and ministry. And my opinion, you're never going to find true normal in life. You can call it a new normal, but it's like the Lord's mercies. They're new every morning. Normal is abnormal every morning. And so you might as well get used to being flexible and not brittle and fragile, easily broken by the, the changes of life and ministry, they are tensions to manage. My wife and I learned a long time ago that it is an unrealistic expectation that will cause frustration and a bad attitude if you expect life and ministry to ever be normal. Life is filled with seasons, and once you adjust to one, here comes another one that requires new adjustments and changes and adaptation in your life. Life is filled with tensions to manage. So I'm talking about what may be competing demands or expectations that pull on you in life, creating tension. And I'm praying that the Lord will help us manage the tension and balance life and ministry. Now, I want to give you a frame of reference. On July 3rd, 2019, I, I taught an entire Bible study on the blessing of balance. So if you want to know more about that theme, you can go back. It's archived online, the blessing of balance. I'm not really going to spend too much time on balance tonight necessarily about a balanced life, but I do want to give you just a few thoughts from that message that balance is a pursuit, probably not a final result. In my perfectionist personality, I've always sought to be a balanced person. I'm at peace today knowing that I don't have to be perfectly balanced in life, that I'm only part of the body of Christ with some strengths and other weaknesses, and God has caused the body to be fitly framed together, and there are other people who balance me and make up the difference in life and ministry in our local church. I've learned to try to add where I am strong and be silent where I don't have strengths and giftings and support other people. While, while I'm the pastor of this church, I serve in a lot of other supporting roles in ministry and I try to be a good support and not always try to think that I need to be the chief there because sometimes I might be called to be the chief here. Balance. Once you think you're balanced, beware because you will not stay balanced. You have to constantly work at it. You may have heard me use this phrase that I learned, that you always have to press order into the disorder of your life. 
things break down. Things get out of place, especially if you have children or grandchildren. They get lost and you have to constantly work to press order into the disorder of your life. I also learned that the balance is not achieved in a single day or a week or a year, but over a lifetime, maybe with experience and experiences and different roles in life, you can become a more balanced person. And I hope that I am at least more balanced than I might have been 40 years ago. Seldom will any day have equal parts of everything, uh, but you can try to do your best at making every day count for Jesus Christ. In 2022, life seems busier than ever before, but it's crazy because we have more gadgets and gizmos to save us time, but time seems so limited. It seems like it's in short supply. I don't know exactly what God had in mind in Daniel 12 and 4, but Daniel, the Lord said, shut the, the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. I can't prove, but I wonder if Daniel was talking about our day. When travel is easy, it sounds like Saints and churches who run to and fro, you know, some folks are gone every couple weekends, but, but it's the nature of our world. People are just continually on the move in life and not bad things. And knowledge has increased. In fact, it's gone exponential in maybe the last 50 years, 20 years, 10 years. So I, I know it's not true of everyone, and I'm not trying to impose my pace of life on you, but life is extremely busy for many, many people. In biblical times, the pace of life was much slower. Agrarian cultures had a, have better balances of seasons, of busy seasons and slow seasons. Proverbs 10 and 5 says that a, a son that sleeps in the harvest causes shame. In that day, when it was harvest time, you worked as many hours as you could to get in the harvest. I have a friend who's a farmer in Iowa. And now with modern equipment, when it's time to get the corn in, when the moisture content is right, those combines run day and night to get that harvest in or the soybeans because they know that harvest time is a short period of time. But then there was winter. Then there was downtime when they could rest and recover. Life was much better then. The pace was much slower. But I did remember a verse when the psalmist said that it is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late. Now, they didn't have electricity, and so things slowed down when the sun went down. But I guess some people did sit up late and ate the bread of sorrows, but the Bible said he gives his beloved sleep. So I do want to point out that life was certainly less complex then with no electricity, no motorized vehicles, no mass communication. But even then, even in that slower paced life, Jesus had what would have been considered impossible days of business. And that's our text, Mark 6, 31. And he said to the disciples, come ye yourselves apart. We need a retreat into a desert place, a place where there's no stores, no malls, no people, nothing going on. And he said, we're going to rest a while. Doesn't that sound awesome? We're going to rest a while. I appreciate the wonderful people of our church 
who no longer asks me if I'm rested up after general conference? The answer was no. I was exhausted. But Jesus said, we're going to go to a deserted place. We're going to rest a while. Even then, there were many coming and going. And they had no leisure so much as to eat. They fought traffic. No, they didn't. They were busy. And there were people, people, so many people that they did not have any time even to stop ministering to people to eat a meal. Sometimes life for you and life for me gets like that. To me, this is a very insightful verse that Jesus is trying. He is really trying to have a retreat with the 12. If you read Mark chapter six, you'll see some pretty fascinating things. That just prior to this invitation to isolation, John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, is beheaded. At least this is referred to in this story. John introduced Jesus to the world. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, not because it was for the remission of sins, but to fulfill all righteousness. John was a selfless prophet, happy to decrease while Jesus increased. And now John is dead. And this is the story that is there. The disciples, the Bible said in Mark 6, 29, Two verses before our text, they took up the corpse of John the Baptist and they buried him. But if you read John 6 all the way back to verse 1, it is, this is an interruption. This story is an interruption on what is going on in the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. The flow of this story is at Mark 6 and 7. Jesus calls the 12. He sent them for two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits, he commanded them to take nothing for their journey. Oh, staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their wallets. He said, just put on your sandals, but don't, don't take an extra coat. You're to travel light, only a carry-on, no check baggage. And he told them, when you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. You're gonna just go and there's gonna be people that will open their homes to you and you're going to stay there and preach the gospel. And when they receive you and hear you, and if they don't, to get away from that city and shake the dust off your feet. So this is what's going on in, in Mark chapter 6. They, they're preaching. They're, they're going out and doing the work of God. They're very, very busy. And we have this story of the death of John the Baptist. And then Mark 6.30. I want you to see Mark 6.30 the verse before a text. The apostles gathered themselves together into Jesus and he told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So now you have to jump back past the story of John the Baptist's death to see what was going on. He sent them out. They were traveling light, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out devils, and they come back telling Jesus how busy they've been in ministry. And then we have this verse, our text, that he says, okay, guys, it's been really busy. There have been so many people coming and going. There's been so much busyness of ministry. We, we need to get away 
and take a break. The goal was to rest a while because many were coming and going and there was no time to eat. Now, Jesus did not resent nor did he reject the people who pursued him. And in this story, it's pretty fascinating that the disciples are trying to get away. But the people, if you keep reading in Mark 6, not on the screens, they ran ahead. And when the disciples landed at the retreat spot, they had outrun them and they were waiting on them. More prayer, more teaching, more ministry, more miracles. We're so glad you guys are here. We knew you were coming to this spot. Hallelujah. Let's have another night of revival. And the disciples weren't that excited about this extra day of revival. They weren't that pumped about all the people figuring out where they were going on this retreat. Those people were an intrusion to them. But the Bible said that Jesus came out and he saw much people and he was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Here on retreat where there were more needs, more people, more problems to solve, more people to help, when Jesus could have said, you know, call down fire from heaven or make me invisible like he did back at Nazareth. He didn't do that. And I want to point out something here about ministry. And I should have probably shown you this verse on the screens, but you have your own Bibles. I've learned in ministry that your plans don't always work. And mostly in leadership settings, not in this general congregation, I try to teach leaders about realistic expectations of ministry. That sometimes you think you're going on vacation, but you're not. Sometimes you think you're gonna have a little retreat, but you're not. And it's not the fact that you don't get that reprieve. It's what, it ha what happens between your ears. It's your attitude toward it. It's your outlook toward it. If you're working in ministry in this local church, and I'm not here to tell you my story or act like I'm a sad guy. I love what I do. I thank God for what I do. It has its challenges like your life has its challenges. But I'm telling you that in your ministry, our expectations can set us up for frustration, for disappointment, for a bad attitude. And you're trying to balance life, family, work, and here you come as a volunteer and things go wrong and people don't always appreciate it. And you thought you were going to catch a break and you didn't. Jesus did not get frustrated with the people that were waiting on the disciples when they got to their retreat. The day is far spent. His disciples came to him. This is Mark 6, 35. And they said, you know, uh, Lord, I'm glad. You know, it, don't you love it when people tell you obvious things? They come to Jesus and they said, oh, Lord, this is a really 
This is a desert place. Look around, Jesus. There's no Dollar Generals, Walmarts, Kroger Publix. There's nothing here. There's nothing. There's no fast food. There's no market. This is a desert place. And now the time is far past. And they said to Jesus, send them away. That they may go into their country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Now there was a little soft spot in their heart for the people who were hungry, but their solution was get rid of them. Let them go take care of themselves. We have had a full day of ministry and frankly, we're tired. You promised us, not really. You told us we're gonna go to a desert place and rest. We haven't had a day off. We don't even have time to eat. And now there's more people. There's more work to do. I signed up for this and I didn't expect it. And I've learned, and you've heard this definition of dependability if you've ever been in a volunteer meeting, that dependability is fulfilling what I agreed to do even though it requires unexpected sacrifice. And can I say to you, my church family, I can't remember signing up for anything in ministry that didn't require more sacrifice, stuff that I didn't plan to have to do. It just goes with ministry. Send them away. Well, Jesus said to the disciples, give them something to eat. Now, you know this story now, what's gonna happen and then they said, where are we going to go and buy enough bread to feed these people? So he has them sit down. There's five loaves, two fishes. He feeds the multitudes, five loaves and two fishes, a tremendous miracle divided. They all ate to their fill. They took up 12 baskets full of fragments of the fishes. And it is, isn't it interesting that even when these disciples had sacrificed, Jesus called them to sacrifice again. They say that's the reward of sacrifice, to sacrifice again. But at the end of the day, he didn't just feed the multitudes, he fed the 12. There were 12 baskets of food left over so that their personal needs were met while they were ministering overtime in what they did not expect. Mark 6, 45. Straightway, he constrained his disciples this is after the feeding of the 5,000. Get in the ship and go to the other side before into Bethesda while he sent away the people. I thought this was pretty cool. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And next we're going to see Jesus walking in the water in a storm to come to the disciples who just saw 5,000 fed who can't catch a break or a day off, and now they're going to get in a terrible storm where they think Jesus doesn't care and they're going to die. Such is life and ministry. But I just thought it was, was insightful to me that Jesus put the disciples on a boat, sent them away, and then he stayed to kind of manage the crowd, tell them all to go home. And this is life and ministry. So how, how did Jesus balance life and ministry? Well, prior to being 30, he didn't have a public ministry. We know nothing about the 30 silent years. He was in the shadows of life, probably doing carpentry work, living as a young man 
as a young adult all the way to the age of 30 when he performed his first miracle. I think he was somewhat like John. Luke 1 and 80 speaks of John the Baptist, that he was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. This is about John the Baptist, not about Israel. But John was like that, serving in the shadows, really no notoriety until his ministry started. Jesus had a, a very brief ministry, perhaps, perhaps three and a half years. He was single, never married. He gave his full time to the ministry of the gospel and of laying down his life for the world. Now, there's a little insight that I want to just throw in here. It's found in the book of 1 Corinthians 7, and it is Paul's writing about those who are single, maybe single again, in some cases, and those who are married. And he shed some light on what would have been the life of Jesus and what Paul's life was like and about people who are married and the responsibilities of family. This is a New Living Translation I'm reading. I want, to be, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Now, I don't say that in any humorous way or to try to make some jab at wives or husbands because he'll put the other perspective as well. But here is insight about ministry. If you are married, then you should think about responsibilities to your wife or husband and to your family. Just because you have a ministry doesn't exempt you from the other responsibilities of your life. You can't just say I'm doing something for God and neglect your family. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Paul says, I'm not saying, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So he talks about the advantages of being single and doing ministry. He also talks about the responsibilities of family while doing ministry. Now, Jesus loved his family. As he was dying, he put his mother into the care of John Zebedee. He said, woman, behold thy son. And he said, son, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple, John, took her into his own home. Now, I know that Jesus, you know, didn't have a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have their nests. But I never really thought about this until I was preparing for tonight, that it is strongly implied that until Jesus died, he took care of his mom because he transfers her care to John Zebedee not to any of his four half-brothers or his at least two half-sisters, but he transferred the, care, transferred the care of Mary to John Zebedee. So before he dies, you can see it in the text that Jesus, as the oldest of his family, is taking care of his mother. We also see that, that Joseph is not in the picture uh, for some years now that probably his stepdad had passed away. So Jesus does not neglect his family. I know that his family comes to him. I have this in my notes. 
when they think he's kind of off his rocker, he's overbalanced, and he tells them that my disciples are my family, my father, my brothers, and my sisters. And we are to love Jesus more than we love our family. We understand that. But we're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about relationship tonight. I'm talking about the balance of life and ministry. There were Jews that said that they had committed money to the Lord, and that was their excuse for not taking care of their elderly parents. They said this, this is korban, it is a gift, and that means it's laid on the altar and beyond reach, and they used it as, as an excuse to neglect their elderly parents. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, it's not part of my notes, but we kept care of my mother-in-law my wife's mom for four and a half years. We took care of my mom on and off for several months, as did my siblings. Because just because I'm a pastor or whatever other office I may hold, it does not exempt me from being a son or a husband or a father. And so you have to try to, you have to, try to press order into the disorder of your life. At times you may feel squeezed and pressured, but God will give you grace if you have priorities and you live by priorities and not by pressures. It's also interesting that Jesus had friends. Now, we don't really know how many times he went to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he called Lazarus his friend. People noticed how much he loved Lazarus. He's eating a meal with them when Martha complains and wants Jesus to get Mary to come in the kitchen and help her. Remember that story? I love the story. I'm not going to go into detail about that. I also want you to know that Jesus faithfully attended church. Luke 4, 16, he was in Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So even though he was God in flesh, he was faithful to go to church. Also, he went to general conference every year. You don't have to do that, but as a child, Luke 2, 41, every year his family went to church at Passover. As an adult, John 2, 13, the Jews' Passover was at hand and Jesus went to Jerusalem. I want to just show you that Jesus was connected to life to family, to ministry. He did not put himself in a place for being exempt of being connected to other people, even though he was the Lord of all the earth. And then Jesus took time to refuel in prayer. And I'll talk about that in just a few more minutes. He rose up a great while before day. Now, let me say some practical things. All of this is practical because the Bible's practical. I heard a statement years ago that ministry is not the performance of an hour or a half hour or whatever. Ministry is not just something you do. It's sort of like evangelism. Evangelism is not like what you do by knocking on seven doors or taking two and giving two business cards away. A witness is who you are. It's what you are. Everywhere you go, everything you do, you, Jesus said, you are my witnesses. And ministry is not just something I do when I prepare to speak or preach. I hope that ministry is what I am. It is the outflow of my life. And in theory, and hopefully in practice, it is what we all are, 
not just what we all do. Not like the priest and Levite who weren't on the clock when they found that man who was beaten up on the side of the road. And they somehow exempted themselves from being a neighbor, from being a friend, from being a fellow human being. Ministry is what we are, not just what we do. It is the outflow of a life. That's why I said that life is ministry. Family is ministry. And I know that trying to balance life and ministry at times creates tension. But, but if you think of life and family as complementary to your ministry and not a conflict, you will have a much healthier outlook on life and ministry. Because I've learned over time that my family is my ministry. My family is my primary ministry. And in our church, all these years later, they are part of my ministry. They are an extension of what my wife and I have tried to do for all of our married life. Amen. And I've learned this about the outflow of a life. This is one of those life verses for me, Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The NIV, I believe, says that from your inner world, your, your heart is the wellspring of life. So ministry is served not by the number of hours I spent preparing this message or any other message or however much time you spent practicing to play or sing or serve or teach, that's part of it. But it is more than just that prep time. Someone called that defensive study. But offensive study is time with God. It is time in prayer, time in the Word, time in worship that is making who you are. And then when you're in a place of performance of teaching, preaching, serving, leading, ushering, or whatever it is you do, it is who you are that is flowing out, not frustrated by ministry. And it's more than you expected, but like Jesus reaching down inside and finding something else to give when it wasn't what you planned on to make sure that your family is your ministry. And your family, when possible, can serve with you. It's pretty amazing in our church. We have families that schedule to serve together and families that plan to worship together. And in our church, we work real hard to have teams of people so that you're not always serving, so that you have time to worship and time to serve. It is our goal, we may not always hit that mark, to not just make you a commodity, to wear you out, to use you up until there's nothing left of you and your family. But that ministry is a healthy thing, a good thing, amen. We want your family to be strong and healthy. In the Bible, church leaders are to, to rule their homes well, to lead their homes well. Whether you're a bishop in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 3, or a deacon in 1 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, these are higher standards set for leaders in the church than, than what you would call just the, the regular saint, whatever that is. But I'm okay that the Bible requires leaders to, to live better and by a higher standard because of the privilege of leading and ministry and, and serving, amen. amen. But, but the writer Paul tells us 
that you need to make sure that you lead your home well. Because if you don't know how to lead your home well, how will you know how to lead the church of God? We'll read that verse, 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well, leading their family as part of their ministry. Now I want to give some personal observations. And pardon me, I kind of went past that and didn't slow down to show you those verses. What my point is, is that it is not family or life here in a box and ministry over here in a box or a silo. It is who you are. And it is living life from the inside out. My personal priorities that I always have to press into order that I'm not perfect in. But it is God first I want to be saved. It is marriage second. It is family third. It is ministry fourth. And when I said that to this church, to our church board, 27 plus years ago, I'm not sure everybody understood. And when I said it to the church, when, I, when you asked me to serve as your pastor, but my idea was, and I had watched a lot of people in ministry serving in a Bible college, but I've watched people not get that right. And so they lost out with God. They lost their marriage. They lost their family. And so it crippled their ministry. But if we can try to get that right, and, and I promise you, I'm not trying to set myself up as the paragon of perfection or some perfect example. You know, I, I do my best. I'm telling you that this is what I've watched. And I've watched people with extremes fail. They either neglect their family and totally pour themselves into ministry. That's an extreme. That's a ditch on one side of the road. But I've watched other people say, well, I'm not going to lose my family. I'm going to focus totally on my family. And they never got involved in ministry. Their family never saw them involved in ministry. And I have watched that fail as well. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How can your family think you love the Lord and your church if you don't get involved in making a difference for the Lord in your church? It's our values. It's who we are, that we love the Lord and we love our church and we serve where we can, where we're gifted, where we're needed. And I know there are reasons that some people can't be involved officially as a volunteer at the church. I'm not trying to condemn anybody, but I'm telling you the value of the kingdom of God, that if you're saved, you serve. That's just what you do. This church, we work really hard to be a family-friendly church. And this is where it's in my notes about AB teams and the importance of integrating your family and ministry where you can. Don't just serve the church alone. Bring your family with you when you can. Help them see the mission of the church and be partners with you in ministry. Amen. You may not always be able to serve side by side, but serve together, worship together, as I've already said. Don't go overboard where your kids feel like, you know, they're just laborers and no reward. Serve joyfully. Amen. Just like you give cheerfully, serve joyfully. 
Amen? Try to create some margin in your life. Minister and then go home. And when you get there, be there. Be where you're at when you're there. I coined that weird expression because I need that. Try to be there physically and emotionally and mentally engaged, not having your mind somewhere else, whether it's your secular job or church ministry. Try to be with the people you're with, not distracted somewhere else. This is so important. Not just quality time, but quantity time. Take time, amen, to be fully present with your family. If you lead a small group, lead your small group. Find a time to tell everybody to go home and get Jesus to send them away. <laughs> my, my habit at church I don't come in real early. I focused on my message. But typically after church, I stay till almost the last person. Many times I turn out the lights and there are people who just like to stay and visit and talk and that's wonderful. But just make sure if you do that, that your family's together with you on that. That you don't get in the car and get an earful of someone who needed to leave 30 minutes early because there's an early morning. I don't want church to be the, the excuse or the fall guy, if I can say it like that, for why you don't have a balanced life. I used to have this 10 o'clock rule on midweek, you know, go home after a while. I may still be here. You, you may be here. You may not have an early morning, may not have a family, but make sure that your family doesn't resent church and ministry. I'm gonna say something not intended to say, and I need to wrap this up, I know. But after church, I let our kids kind of hang out Sometimes they get a little carried away. We try to corral them in. But some of you, like me, you're still here. And your kids have been here for an hour and a half. I don't want them to hate church. I want them to have friends here and, and hang out here. And, and when they get a little crazy, we'll do our best to chill them out some. But they're little kids, and we want them to love our church. At Atlanta West, we work with Planning Center Online. That means you get an email. I think you got it today. It tells you to block out your dates for the next month when you can't serve. Please don't wait till the day of and, and do that. The reason we have that opportunity is so you can say, we're gonna be out of town. We're gonna worship together. I'm not available on a certain day. What a wonderful world that is where you can say, I'm not available. Now, don't always be unavailable, right? And that leads me to this. Sit down with your family. And my wife's sitting right here. And no secrets in our family. We're pretty transparent. Sometimes I mess up to block out. Oh, that's the week of our anniversary. That's not a smart thing to do. We try, we try to block out time for family vacation. I like to go hunting in the fall. If you don't like hunting, I'm sorry. I do. I try, to, I try to block out time to do certain things. I'm not great at taking a full day off because things seem to never stop. I know I have to work on that all the time. But you should do the same. You should make your family important. And as much as you can, look ahead in the calendar, know what's going on at church, 
and block out time for your family so you can put, make them important in your life. And then prepare to serve. My mom was so cool. Four kids. My dad taught Sunday school, was a song leader back then. But my mom had all the kids' clothes, all of our clothes laid out on Saturday night. So on Sunday morning, she was not frazzled, running around, you know, having conflict at home. You can, by a lack of planning and forethought, create conflict, or you can relieve a lot of conflict. I know Wednesday nights are difficult. I had a friend, a, a man who became a friend. I took a, a psychology class, just an introduction to psychology in a junior college. Kenneth Benson was a professor. He was an amazing man. I've told you his story before. He was Presbyterian. I witnessed to him. I baptized him in Jesus' name. He received the Holy Ghost in the baptistry, which was pretty amazing. But he was so committed. He told me at 5.30 on Saturday night, we shut everything down. We get ready for church on Sunday morning. I thought, wow, 5.30, that's really early. I'm not telling you to do that. But I was so impressed with this man who made sure that his family made worship important. It wasn't an afterthought. They planned to make church the center of their week and really, really important. Amen. If you don't mind, please stand. Worship, serve, rest, live your life with balance. When you have times of crazy stress, try to take time off, ministry, work, life. When it doesn't work and you go on the retreat and it all falls apart, don't get a bad attitude. Step up, love people, minister out of a compassionate heart like Jesus. Try to do a makeup day, find a way to keep yourself healthy spiritually and your family whole. Amen. I know you, I, I believe you love me. I think you love me. I love you. But one day, you know, I'll pass off the scene, leave this life, planning to go to heaven. This church will find another pastor. But for my family, I'm the only husband, dad, grandfather. So my family is important to me. And I want your family to be important to you. Again, I'm not talking about myself. I'm just telling you that someone else will be on the platform singing. Someone else will run sound. Someone else will serve in children's ministry. Someone else will do what you're doing now. They will come and take your place. So while I want you to serve, I don't want you to lose your family or your soul while you're serving God and His church. Amen. Make sure you strive to live your life with balance. And finally, take time to refuel, to refill your tank. And I have a lot of scriptures in my notes about Jesus going into a mountain and praying and staying all night and rising up a great while before day to pray. When it's time to worship, try to worship. I'm cursed with a really detailed mind, so I'm always jotting, thinking, 
But I really work hard when I come to church. Before I stand up here, I want to worship God. I know you can't do everything, safety team. You know, watch and pray. And sometimes you just can't fully focus on worship or prayer. You know, they talk about people who try to sneak a preach. Well, sneak a worship. Sneak a prayer. Do your best to engage and to not be distracted. If it's church time, be in this, be in church. And if you're watching online, I'm not speaking to you right now. But don't be meandering down the hallway or in the foyer if you're not needed there. Be in church. If someone engages you in a random conversation, give them, you, you have permission right now. So remember when Brother Johns was teaching on this? I don't want to offend you, but neither do I want to offend the Lord by not worshiping Him or pastor who's preaching right now. I need to be in church. And I need to be worshiping and praying and fully engaged. It's, it, take, it costs something to pay attention, right? And to give yourself to worship. I want to be saved. And I want you to be saved. And you are not a commodity, as I said earlier, to be used and used up just to find someone else to fill your spot. We want to do ministry in life with wholeness and as much balance as possible so that we can make a difference in this world, starting with ourselves and our families. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come. If you have an early morning or you need to go, I understand that. But if you have just a few moments to come and pray, I want to invite you to pray. Amen. The heroes of my life are people who may not be the most talented, may not be the most gifted, but the heroes of my life are people who have lasted a long, long time and done ministry for decades, live with integrity, walk with God did the best they could with their families and served in ministry where they were called and didn't give up cash in backslide. I want to be that kind of person and I want you to be that person as well. Let's pray right now. Lord.